what I can say about this is just like uh, to don't give up. Sometimes also gets really frustrating. Uh, think about the, the visa. It just kills you because you don't know if you can and you can't plan your future if you don't know if you can stay. So one day I say to myself, I'm just gonna stop worrying about it and uh, try to do my best to do stuff in my life. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to somebody who has been a constant figure throughout my pandemic, our pandemic, the pandemic that we share. His name is Andrea Vignali, and we met uh, really, I don't know, probably last April when we were in the middle of our first lockdown and Andrea was a stood-down chef from Grossi Florentino who could not keep his hands still, so he started making gnocchi at his kitchen bench. So, Andrea, welcome to the show. How are you going? Going pretty well. Just came out a really busy weekend, which is good when you're in a restaurant. Yeah. So, tell us the name of your restaurant. Tell us where it is and what do you do there? So, uh, I'm chef and owner at Dal Dente Noteca in Carlton. Um, it's not just a restaurant. We have a beautiful shop, which is called Sapori. And uh, we continue doing what we used to do during lockdown. That's how we started. Um, selling pasta and uh, sauces to a big amount of people in Melbourne. And uh, now we have also our beautiful Enoteca, which uh, is an amazing restaurant where people can come and dine in and approachable fine dining. And uh, yeah, that's what we do. How much do you love saying I'm chef and owner of Al Dente Enoteca? Oh yeah, I love, I love saying it. <laughs> it, it, sounds, it sounds still pretty funny, for me, because uh, just one year ago, uh, I never thought I was going to own a restaurant. Um, but yeah, here I am now. Well, take us back to that time a year ago when I think we were all so deep in that initial uncertainty of the pandemic. Tell us what. Tell us about your passage through those first months. Yeah, so I had a moment where I was um, um, without any income and uh, I couldn't work for any other, other business a part of Grossi Florentino, where I had an amazing five years. Uh, but in that moment, uh, the restaurant was closed and I couldn't, I couldn't make money. Um, people like me wasn't supported from the government. And uh, someone said, uh, if you're holding a, a visa, this is the moment where you should think seriously to stay or, or go home. And uh, yeah. I was just like, I don't want to go home. <laughs> uh, my my home is here. Uh, I got my house, my furniture, my friends. Um, it's like my family here. I got a family back in Italy too, but my life is here now. I mean, also at the time, Italy was really in the throes of a terrible COVID crisis. It wasn't like a place that you really wanted to head back to. And as you say, your life was here, but because you were you were sponsored by Grossi, that meant that you were tied to them. And if you weren't able to work for them, you weren't able to, yeah, work for anybody else. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what was your thought process? What did you do? Oh, so uh, the first thing I started doing was just uh, doing pasta at home. I didn't had uh, actually, just before then that, I started making jams. Did you? <laughs> and, I didn't even know that. Yeah, just like the day before. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And um, after that, I started making pasta. And 
I was just posting it on Instagram, uh, normal tortellini gnocchi. And I realized there was some friends of mine, which they were already missing uh, restaurants. So with Uber Connect, at the start, I was just exchanging things with friends. And uh, they started posting uh, Tagliatelle from Andrea, uh, stuff like that. And, and one week after, I was doing just by myself at home, uh, $500, $600 in sales. Yeah, and um, after I met you, Danny, and um, Lyndon, and uh, yeah, what was it? a couple of weeks after probably, uh, I was in a city in a huge pub uh, cooking for 300 people a week. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's such a, it's so, I don't know, funny is the right word, but it really makes me feel very emotional to think back on that time um, and how fast things were changing, how urgent things were. So you mentioned Lyndon. So Lyndon is one of the owners of a startup called Kookaburra. It's like a an ordering platform that was built to give um, home chefs the opportunity to sell their food online. It's like a more streamlined way of doing it. Um yeah, I connected with him somehow and then we connected with you somehow. I don't even remember how it happened, but before I knew it, we were getting your your like Instagram business. I mean, Instagram was still very important, but we got this online platform behind you and you were able to take more orders, you know, collect the money in a streamlined way, put out weekly menus, all that good stuff. Um and yeah, full disclosure, I I um, was did a little bit of work for Kookaburra through that meeting, um, but I mean, yeah, it was just it's just extraordinary. I think everyone wanted to support you. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. It's still amazing now. Some some of those customers which they was were buying from me at the very start, they now have dinner in the restaurant, and and they've been able to look the full journey, and and it's unbelievable. It just uh, um, amazing, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really emotional. And I think one of the things that was, um, was really stood out for me is that as soon as you had, you were selling enough pasta, you started bringing other people on temporary visas into your business and giving them work too. Yeah, exactly. I, I was feeling really, um, I was feeling really bad for what was happening especially because I was been in a secure situation and I never thought something like that could happen to me. And, uh, and, um, you know, when, when you think your life is all good and, and after you arrive to a moment where you're like, Oh, it's not uh, stress and, and, and uh, pressure. Um, they made me do what I did because the, the only reason why I did what I did is because I was under a, an extraordinary pressure. And, and uh, I was, I started thinking, okay, now I'm making a bit of money, but what about the others? So uh, friends of mine were asking me and I, at the start, I have to say, uh, there was a lot of things in my head, which was saying, is this the right thing to do? There's a lot more than just selling pasta, there's insurances, there's a lot of stuff, but I, I kept believing in it and, um, and uh, yeah, it worked out. And I, I'm happy for, especially the people I could help. There's something me and David always say, because after when David uh, started doing it with me too, during the second lockdown, we had the moment where we were paying a lot of people and um, and we were making money. And we were like, oh, 
at the end of the day, we are here all week, work like dogs from the morning to night, and, and there's nothing in our pocket. And we were looking at each other. We were saying, at least, you know, some people's got a job. That's pretty amazing. Um, you definitely created a really beautiful community around you from, I mean, yeah, the, uh, the, the Cooper's Inn where you were doing the cooking, you know, the owner there, the Kookaburra guys, um, the people that you brought in and including beautiful Pranav who we had on the podcast a little while ago who's, you know, this highly qualified hospitality professional is doing deliveries for you. It was just a really, that's just a really good thing. And, I mean, let's just, make it clear that the product is great, right? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the product is great. We we work a lot on it every day. And uh, now we've got a big system in place um, where we are able to sell uh, the same pasta in the restaurant, uh, delivered online, that you can also buy it in the shop. Obviously, in a restaurant, uh, it's got has a little twist, and there's things you can't buy online. But, um, yeah, um, we work a lot on the product. Uh, we work a lot on on the food and on the flavors, especially. So, mm. so what's a key dish for you guys? Oh, definitely the cacio pepe. But um, yeah, I, I, tell me, tell me about that. Cacio pepe was uh, one of the first um, pastas we did during lockdown. I was actually um, it was just the very start of the journey, and uh, some people were speaking about me, and I, I needed to think about a special, but there was no money in the bank. I couldn't do lobster. Uh, and uh, so I just did a simple fondue with pecorino. And I was having lunch with my friend, Jacob. Uh, you probably remember Jacob. And, and uh, we were thinking, what do we do? What do we do? And we were eating a cacio pepe. And I said, what if we do a cacio pepe, but with a feeling inside, instead of having the sauce outside? And uh, there clicked. And we started making it. And now, yeah, every week I have to do 50 kilos of feeling. <laughs> wow. I love it. It's such a simple feeling, just the cheese and the pepper, but it is really, it's, I mean, yeah, it's just one of those combinations yeah. that is always going to be in fashion. It's absolutely delicious. And yeah, I think, yeah, light bulbs, fireworks, uh, sirens would have gone off when you had that idea. It's yeah. pretty, pretty genius. Yeah. And the good part of the journey is the fact at the end of the lockdown, we were doing lobster and lasagna with truffle. So um, yeah, we couldn't at the start, but we ended up doing it. So that was great. I love it. So, I mean, you you said you had five great years at Grossi for your five years in Melbourne. Um, at what period, did, you know, do, doing Al Dente, doing your online business, did you think, hmm, maybe this can be my thing? Maybe I won't go back to, to the job even, even when it is possible? So uh, first of all, I want to say, like, I really never thought I was going to leave Grossi. I always thought I was gonna get my PR there. It's an amazing place. What Guy and Roddy do every day is just special. And um, the reason why I was working there is because every morning when I was working and I was feeling, smelling the beautiful sourdough and a uh, guy is there at eight o'clock chopping lamb and, and he's got his first sofrito on. And it just was really home for me. But just the situation, um, you know, when, when I realized I could do something mine, that's, that was the moment where I started doing it, <laughs> not before. Mm. And, um, yeah, one, one thing I always say, uh, and we like to say everyone in Al Dente knows, is, um, is actually 
I also have it on my wall in the in the room is see the possibility, not the problem. And um, yeah, when that happened, uh, I think I just saw the possibility. Wow, that's that's pretty great. Were you always that kind of strategic thinker, or is that something that sort of grew up in you through the pandemic? No, I I had that in my room before than that. So um, yeah, I always I always been like that. You know, I, I always said. Um, you know, uh, like, especially when I hear a lot of people complaining and um, a lot of people talking about what goes wrong. Um, I'm like, if you don't like it, why you do it? Or if you don't like to work in that place, why you work there? Do something about it. And uh, yeah, I've I, I always been thinking like that. And sometimes I'm really hard with myself. Um, but in my head, um, that's the right, right way to be. Because when you say... Uh, you excuse yourself why you couldn't do it. Um, that's why you're not going to do it properly. But if you say the reason why I couldn't do it is this one, and next time I will do better, that's where when the next time you do better. So, well, I think you've certainly had enough problems to work your way through over the past year and a half. And if I think about talking to you along the journey of building the restaurant. There was, I mean, I guess whenever you're renovating things, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Everything will take longer and be more expensive. Um, but what was the journey of um, creating your bricks and mortar business like for you? Oh, was was very really hard, especially because at the start I didn't know if I could do it. And um, yeah, so um, I'm still not a permanent resident. And uh, visa-wise, it's been really hard. <laughs> like, I don't think just this really hard. I can explain how hard it's been. Uh, now I'm lucky, and my partner, Michelle, um, can keep me in the country. I can, I can run my own business. And, uh, yeah, but there's a lot of things, um, a lot of little things which make the life of an immigrant uh, really hard in Australia. And... Um, yeah, so uh, about this, I want to say I, I, I hearing also your podcast and and uh, there's a lot of business owners which have been uh, through a really tough year. But I, w- I want to spe- speak especially about all the workers, you know, all, all those workers which have left the country uh, because they didn't have any other choice. And uh, I know there's some people which is struggling um, because they don't have what they had before. But there's also these guys which uh, need really to find money uh, for pay the bill at the end of the week. And uh, they can't work a certain amount of hours. They can't work in a certain place. They can't do this. They can't do that. And um, I just think we should go a bit more, like they should go a bit more deeper in the people and see what they can do and why they do it. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. And I find it a bit hard to explain it too because I get a bit, uh, moves, moves me. Like, uh, But it's, it's just not easy. And some people doesn't know it because the only way to know this is be an immigrant during this period. So you, you probably don't. You probably know it, Danny. But um, um, because you, you helped me, for example, because you understand it. But I'm sure there's a lot of people which doesn't. And, uh, yeah, I would love to have uh, the capacity to change this. I definitely don't have it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, well, what I can do is speak about it. 
So it sounds like what you're saying is you feel like there are a lot of changes to Australia's visa and immigration systems that um, could make it easier not only for workers to, I guess, have a better time here, have have the kind of work that they need and as much work as they need, but it would also in turn then make it easier for employers or business owners who at the moment can't find the staff that they need. Is that... Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing pretty much that, but I'm also letting, I, I want to let people know um, how it's hard, especially for the employers, because not everyone really knows. You know, that when I was speaking about, uh, when I was speaking about uh, business owners, I was saying they speak and explain how their year has been hard during COVID, but they don't really know how hard it's been for immigrants with which they are on visas at the moment. And I hear, I hear a lot of things like, uh, for example, uh, rich families say, oh, this week we couldn't attend to our villa in Bali and, and they cry for that. But you know what I'm saying? You know, the, 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 there's bigger problems. And, uh, and I, I say like to so many friends, a buy and I don't know if I'm going to see them anymore. They left the country. They can't come back. And, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's just pretty terrible, I reckon. And, uh, the, the ones which they're here are the strongest ones. And because they found a way to stay here and, um, yeah, but I'm sure there's some which they left, uh, who they could stay here and have a life here anyway. Absolutely. There's so many people, if only, if only they were still here. And I suppose, you know, at the at the top of all of this problem, you know, is what you mentioned, you know, like the statement at the start of April last year from the Prime Minister that if, you know, if you can't sort yourself out, then go home. I think there's that there's that underpinning lack of compassion and appreciation of the real life situations that people find themselves in people that have been welcomed to this country, employed in this country, doing everything by the book, feeding, feeding people, washing their dishes, um, delivering their food, all those things. And it's just, if everything was looked at uh, with the more compassionate eye, then I think things would have been very different. Exactly. That's what I meant. Thank you, Danny. Sometimes my English gets to be, especially when I get emotional. I'm, uh... <laughs> but yeah, you, you explain exactly what I meant. Yeah. Well, it's just, it just really sucks. And I guess now you, you've got the complications of being a business owner and looking for staff and you're also in a situation where you still have that vulnerability of not being a permanent resident. Yeah. No, I have to say I'm really lucky at the moment. We are really lucky. Um, the people who works with us, uh, for example, if I speak about the boys, uh, I would like to mention them. Um, I have Leon, which uh, is an immigrant like us. He comes from Bali. Um, there's Cindy an Italian, uh, Oz, another Italian, Ilaria, another Italian, which um, serves customers on the floor. They are all on temporary visas and um, they all um, suffer and really find hard to keep living in this country, but they really want to. And uh, we are all there with the same type of goal. And uh, yeah, so... 
Um, I'm lucky to have these people. They really want to work with us, and I really want to work with them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not complaining about finding stuff at the moment, I have to say. Um, I'm happy with the stuff I have. And, yes, uh, if uh, there was more of them, more of us, maybe I could open every lunch. And But I do what I do with what I have, and, and uh, yeah, we are good. Well, that's great. But, you know, it's, I know, yeah, I'm sure your staff are so well taken care of and looked at, you know, obviously you're going to be looking at their situations with great empathy and compassion. So I'm sure that is, um, yeah, part of the reason why they want to work with you. I do find this whole thing so incredibly frustrating and upsetting though, Andrea, that, you know, and I, I said it, you know, when we opened or when you opened the Enoteca and I made a little speech, you know, what I talked about was that this is a, this is a great Melbourne story and what you're doing is what Melbourne has in large part been built on. It's immigrants who've come here and brought their skills and their talents and enriched the city with their gifts and that it's made so much more difficult for you than it should be is, is just, it's just so it's just so frustrating and wrong when you think about what you really should be doing is, you know, dreaming up the next Cacio Pepe and not worrying about, um, yeah, about residency. It's, I just find it so frustrating. Yeah. They should just have a, a, a different uh, way to judge it. I reckon because uh, like if someone wants to come here, wants to work hard, wants to learn the language and he's doing it, why can't stay? You know, it's just, uh, um, yeah, uh, I, I think they don't go deep enough. That's mm. what I'm saying. Yeah. And you're very determined and, yeah, you just, you, as you say, like you don't see the problem, you see the possibility. And, I mean, that's that's a re- that's one of the reasons why you're here. Like you've just found, you've been able to navigate your way through it, not because it's easy but because you just, wouldn't you would just wouldn't look at it look at another another way um and yeah understandably not everyone is able to do that not everyone you know falls in love with a nice aussie girl who can help you stay here as well so it's um yeah it it yeah yeah. Ah, okay uh, deep uh, breath uh, uh, anyway uh, what i can say about this is just like uh to don't give up and um sometimes the soul gets really frustrating uh, think about the, the visa and I know there's uh, a million people which is thinking the same thing and they're like uh, it, it just kills you because you don't know if you can and you can't plan your future if you don't know if you can stay so one day I say to myself I'm just gonna stop worrying about it and uh, try to do my best to do stuff in my life and when I was fixing things in my life after it became easier to fix the visa too. So work hard, get up every day. Oh, but I've been lucky because if I'm here now, I need to uh, thank the Grossi family. They sponsor me and uh, uh, like they helped me in everything. When I, when I came to Australia five years ago, six years ago, I couldn't even speak in English. I remember the first, the first time um, Guy Roddy sent me down in a cool room to get an eggplant. I came up with an egg. <laughs> uh, I, I, knew, I knew how to cook, but I didn't know how to speak. And I'm still not a master now, but yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's been, yeah, it's been a journey. And um, Andrea, tell people what 
uh, Guy and the family sent you when uh, for opening night? Oh, yeah, Guy sent me um, a bouquet of flowers with a little packet of flour attached. And there was a note, enjoy the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very funny. That's great. I love that suit's blessing. Andrea, let's dig back into your past. Um, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to start cooking and what your first few years were like. Well, I can't even remember actually when I started cooking. I just feel like I always, like I always kind of did. Um, my, my uncle um, was on, owning a restaurant in Liguri. And when I was a like, really, really young kid, I was helping him uh, with the pizza dough and bringing the wood. Uh, for the fire oven up and um, I was uh, doing those kind of jobs when I was really young and I remember when my mom and dad were coming back um, home from work I was kind of setting up a um, dining experience with menus and I was bur- I was burning a lot of stuff but uh, I always tried I always tried and yeah uh, I was so uh, a bit of a disaster around 15, 16. Uh, not really good school, not really good. Um, yeah, we studying mathematics and grammar. But I remember when they put me in the kitchen, I was the quickest one peeling potatoes. And so I said to myself, maybe I should do this. And so what did you do? Oh, I kept doing it. I kept doing it from those days. I worked in Michelin stars and I I just keep pushing myself to get the best out of it. And um, also I realized sometimes, you know, when, when, when life gets hard, the worst thing to do is, for me, I speak personally, the, the worst thing to do is sit and wait. So every morning I just get up and, and, and cook and that makes you happy. Um, and what was it that made you want to come to the other side of the world? So when I was um, uh, probably 21, uh, I finished uh, my experience in a Mission Star and uh, I started working in a smaller restaurant. And uh, after no longer, I became head chef. And uh, I remember I was uh, doing menus and and managing my first staff and uh, after one year, I said to myself, but I'm 22, 21. If I stay here, I'm going to do this forever. So I remember I just Googled, <laughs> literally, I just Googled the best, best place where to travel in the world. <laughs> we good, we good food. <laughs> it's really funny, but that's what I did. And um, I started reading and documenting myself, uh, things about Melbourne. And I got a flight. <laughs> that's so random and crazy and great yeah I, but you know sometimes just I, I wanted to do I, I wanted to do the same thing somewhere else in the world because um, when you when you uh, stay forever in the same country um, you, I just feel like your mind becomes limited uh, traveling and discovering new things is is um, is a new open world you know what I learned here I can do it one day in America or because I speak the language especially. And, um, yeah. And so did you come here on a tourist visa or did you get us get sponsored from overseas? No, I came here on a um, uh, working holiday visa. Yeah. And uh, I started working at Grassy straight away. 
And uh, yeah, and after I stayed there for five years, never moved. Did someone tell you about Grossi or did you, was it also some Google accident of accident of fortune? I sent a resume from Italy and um, they they told me to go and talk to them. So I remember I sent I sent it to them, Attica and Vudemond. Okay. And um, Grossi was the first one replying. And um, yeah, Vudemond replied uh, after six months I was already there. So. Okay. So, I mean, what do you think about coming to Melbourne to cook Italian food? I mean, did you feel, did that feel strange? Did it feel normal? Were there, was there a different spin on the, the cuisine of your home country? Well, at the start it was hard because um, it's not exactly like in Italy, obviously, but um, now I like uh, this type of not being like in Italy because it's, Italian food in Australia is not Italian food in Italy, obviously, like every other food of every other country. And um, I was a bit confused and trying to understand why we're doing certain things in a certain way. But I have to say, um, Guy uh, follows the tradition a lot. And uh, they do a lot of research, researches and um, they go and get the original recipes and uh, they work on them. So... Yeah, I started really enjoying it. And uh, after that, uh, also other cultures that kind of started coming in in my knowledge. And I was like, why do you do this like that? Why do you do it in this other way? And you create your own type of cooking. So what's an example of a dish that, you know, you've, you've sort of built on an Italian base and changed it a little bit? Well, right now, probably everything I do. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know, one, one dish I remember... At the start, was it um, the tiramisu I was doing over there? But uh, and I just did it in a cocoa bean shape. In a what shape? Oh, cocoa bean. So like the actual um, cocoa bean. Oh yeah, right. Okay. And um, yeah, and uh, now pretty much everything we do is just twisted from Italian, but uh, it's not. And uh, like I always say, if my nonna knew about the cacio pepe, he would probably slap me in the head. <laughs> well, why you do a tortellino with the filling inside? The sauce is outside, he would say. But yeah. <laughs> um, is that part of the reason why you fought so hard to stay here? Or, I mean, because part of me thinks like if it's so hard, like you must, there must be something about being here that you that you really like to battle through. Oh, because uh, this is the place where I want to stay at the moment. I wanna, um, I, I wanna bring to term what I started, and uh, was my choice. I took the choice, and and until the end, I will continue. Make it sound very simple. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that simple. It's definitely not that simple. But, um, you know, now, now um, for the who knows how many years, my future will be in Nicholson Street. And I definitely won't move. Um, I like what I'm doing. And uh, it's a lot of work. It's really hard. Uh, we had months where we had no days off. And, uh, but now we are seeing the return and, uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And so what's the rest, how's the restaurant going? Are you getting people coming? So, uh, we are fully booked for the next three weeks. We got some spots on Friday's lunch, but, uh, yeah, we, 
this Saturday we had uh, 60 people on the waiting list. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And um, the best part is uh, at the start was a bit, uh, I was saying before, with the staff, I didn't know if I could keep open always. And uh, I just reduced the hours of the restaurant. And um, during the week, uh, we concentrated more on prepping for the platform and for the shop. And, um, yeah, we opened from Wednesday night until Saturday night and, and Friday, Sunday lunch. It's so interesting, you know, like I guess a lot of restaurants added additional income streams to what they were doing just out of necessity. They started doing takeaway and they perhaps hadn't done it before. But it's it's really interesting that you started your business as as takeaway or delivery um, and you've kept it. I mean, does that just feel like the safe, smart way to do business these days where we're still prone to lockdowns? Oh, for sure. For sure. But not just for the lockdowns. And uh, at the start, I was thinking just for the virus. But now I realize some people doesn't actually like to go out for dinner. Uh, Some people like to stay at home with the family and get that experience anyway. We still do 100 deliveries a week. And some people get pasta for the full week. And, um, you know, if you put a bit of love in that too, and uh, we do it in our way, because, yeah, it's um, uh, different from what everyone else does, for sure. Uh, but at the same time, it's pasta, so it's not that different. Um, yeah, it's, um, no, it's just, I, I love what we do with, with the delivery. I will never stop doing it. And the, 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 pl- the platform is great. We get a chance to uh, tell our story every week. Uh, this week, uh, we have a beautiful limoncello and topical cello we made. And uh, yeah, it's, um, it's uh, just a good way to get to the heart of people. Mm. So what are you looking forward to for the rest of the year? Well, a day off, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, hopefully um, all these three areas of the business will be working as an organized machine and um, they're already doing, but hopefully, um, yeah, will be more system in place where they give me a chance to move on the next step. Because at the moment we are just there every morning from morning to night and we are fighting hard to achieve what we're achieving, but I hope we'll get, and I know we'll get a bit easier but I just want to maintain it and, and it would be great to uh, keep doing it in the right way like we're doing now. And, um, yeah. Mm. And um, so we're in the middle of winter. It's a, a beautiful time for so much produce, so many cooking styles. What's something that you're loving cooking at the moment? Oh, um, now it's truffle season. So we had amazing truffles and uh, we're doing – uh, beautiful risotto at the moment with tartufo. We have spaghetti with tartufo, which is a dish I used to do back in the days. Some nice spaghetti we make with some truffle inside the spaghetti too because we've got a machine who give us the chance to do that. Wow. And um, we put a nice egg yolk on top of the spaghetti. We burn a bit of butter with garlic and sage and we pour it on top of the egg yolk, which cooks it lightly. And we shave some nice truffle on top. And uh, oh, we had fun also with doing mac and cheese at delivery. <laughs> at home, they were really upset with me. So this is an American dish. <laughs> but yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? At the end, at the end, you know, 
it's macaroni and formaggio, so it depends just how you call it. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. We're, Nono still has to get over the cacio pepe, so we better not tell him about that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, Andre, it's so lovely to have a chat. Uh, is there anything else that you want to say? Well, uh, I just really want to uh, thank uh, all the people which has been helping us doing this journey, uh, you also, and uh, especially our staff, uh, which works every day really hard. And um, that's it. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, thank you for persisting with life in Australia. And I'm sorry that it just hasn't been smooth sailing, but I really hope that the hardest bits are behind you now and you can concentrate on bringing beautiful food to the people. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story today on Dirty Linen. Thank you, Danny. It's a pleasure. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.